2: Log Talk Radio.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, madam and monsieur, it is Sunday, the second day of June, the year of 2019, and you're now listening to Playtime with Sandra Radio. I'm your hostess, Sandra London of livinggrind.com, broadcasting for you live from the overcast beaches of Southern California. Playtime with Sandra Radio is available to you via Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Digital Podcast, and livinggrind.com. The song you just heard at the top of the hour is called Mystic Flow by the group SPCV over from freemusicarchive.org. I hope everyone is doing well and has had a relaxing weekend. I had a very interesting weekend. I went to a TED Talk, a local branch tech talk in Santa Barbara. It was awesome. Awesome sauce. Uh, So now I'm dying out. But uh, I will be playing music this evening, and I will also... I'm going to go ahead and do a live recording of the part one portion of interview with a vampire, not the entire part one, but a, an excerpt from there, uh, from the novel written by Anne Rice. Also, the She to that. So some I'm just gearing myself up for it because I pre-recorded it before. But it is very difficult for me to simply. <laughs> the byte file um, without breaking out, you know, the different transfer this, convert this, do this, do that, we'll make it smaller and it's still good quality, la blah, blah blah. I know this is possible, I know it can happen, and know I can figure it out, but right now there's like mental overload. So I'm just gonna go ahead So we're going to try and get that upload to come through. I'll put it on livinggrind.com when it's available and also on my show, Playtime with Sandra Radio. In the meanwhile, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and punish myself (laughs) because I don't think it played during the last broadcast on Sunday. It was just blank space. So I apologize for that. Um, I do want to read up to that portion like I had in that pre-record. So give me a few songs to get a little bit settled in. Uh, Let me give you, and that call-in number is 858 815-2333. 815-2333. Once again, 858-815-2333. And I believe, yeah, I will give you Games by Christiane. I'll be right back with you.
2: in the Holy, 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 holy.
1: i am Nigga, i am Nigga, I'm Your niggas, out not i am Gotta stop self- it, Uh baby, Oh, fuck it, nigga, yeah i yeah, I'm-, yeah crack, I'm on it Got to step up to the plate like a pit hitter. My little man on the way I'm trying to fix dinner Have a meal for him Even if I got to destroy and rebuild for him Look, at shit is real, I just hope it don't get real for him Life is but a dream to me I'm a king, freedom, bell ring, sing to me Had to analyze some things and what it mean to me Balance, trying to find balance Life triple beam for me I'ma
4: keep jamming at the beat Steppin' on these motherfuckers feet and they toes, and it don't even matter summertime or winter time. I drop motherfucking heat in the heat and the
1: snow. Cause that boy swiffer, and we don't do takeout, I deliver. I'm an A1 nigga, steakhouse, and I ain't jumping all over cars to clip up. That's what Blake bout. Yeah. Nigga, I was running wild, 19, all in the club. Yeah. Run the same time, they don't put me on dub. Yeah. High off life, that's different type drugs. You ain't never had that feeling, you ain't like us. It ain't all about the money, it's morals. You niggas faking the love. type of shit. Real ain't got energy for it. Man, fuck making friends, I'm just trying to make art. Grinding for my shit, what a near escape. Park is on the menu. <laughs> I say eat your fucking heart out eat fucking heart No out. words for you jokers Word Nah, suckers. I'ma pull your fucking cards out pull your Look, hey man, hey man That boy so hip-hop, but they love him like commercial Swipe. On the airwaves, high circle. high circle Silly, I can really do this shit for days But you know they say patience a virtue <laughs> Nigga, Supreme coming Supreme coming Nigga, the team coming. Yeah. I'm just getting, been in straight, still trying to scrape 2013 yeah. Yeah. money. Yeah. Mistakes in my life, less snakes in my life, and I had to pay the price for it. So nowadays, I ain't trying to compromise. I ain't listen to your lies, nigga. I done lost nights for it. Yeah, step up to the mic, I don't write for it. Know some niggas moving keys like they type for it. I mean, anything they eat, niggas might blow it. Tell you gotta buy weed, nigga, life Floyd, it. Undefeated. <laughs> That's supreme shit, I know you need it, nigga, coming soon. Coming soon, yeah. Yeah, swipe up
3: And we're back, in the state of Playtime with Sandra Radio, and I'm your host, Cassandra London of livinggrind.com. The songs you just heard were Games by Christiane, Grindin' by slip baby and Ghost Dance by Kevin McLeod. Alrighty then, I, I had been thinking that I would maybe start doing this, the excerpt, like, you know, halfway through the show, but I feel like I might as well go ahead and do it now. <laughs> um and it's just a, a free read. I'm not, if I mess up, I mess up. I don't know. I will try not to. So I will go ahead and re-recite what was previously recorded, which is stored in two gig, gigabytes of data elsewhere. Alrighty. So here we go. It's Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice, author of the Tale of as well. I see, said the vampire, thoughtfully and slowly he walked across the room towards the window. For a long time, he stood there against the dim light from Divisadero Street and the passing beams of traffic. The boy could see the furnishings of the room more clearly now, the round oak table, the chairs, a washbasin hung on one wall with a mirror. He set his briefcase on the table and waited. "'But how much tape do you have with you?' asked the vampire." Turning now so the boy could see his profile. Enough for the story of a life. Sure, if it's a good life. Sometimes I interview as many as three or four people a night if I'm lucky, but it has to be a good story. That's only fair, isn't it? Admirably fair, the vampire answered. I would like to tell you the story of my life, then. I would like to do that very much. Great, said the boy, and quickly he removed the small tape recorder from his briefcase, making a check of the cassette and the batteries. I'm really anxious to hear why you believe this, why you No," said the vampire abruptly. We can't begin that way. Is equipment ready? Yes, said the boy. Then sit down. I'm going to turn on the overhead light. But I thought vampires didn't like light, said the boy. "You think that dark adds to the atmosphere. But then he stopped. The vampire was watching him with his back window. The boy could make out nothing of his face now, and something about the still figure there distracted him. He started to say something again, but he said nothing. And then he sighed relief when the vampire moved towards the table and reached for the overhead cord. At once, the room was flooded with a harsh, yellow light, and the boy, staring up at the vampire. Not repress a gasp. His fingers danced backwards on the table to grasp the edge. Dear God, he whispered, and then he gazed, speechless, at the vampire. The vampire was utterly white and smooth, as if he were sculpted from bleached bone, and his face was as seemingly inanimate as a statue, except for two brilliant green eyes that looked down at the boy intently, like flames in a skull. But then the vampire smiled, almost wistfully, and the smooth white substance of his face moved with the infinitely flexible but minimal lines of the cartoon. Do you see? He asked softly. The boy shuddered, lifting his hand as if to shield himself from a powerful light. His eyes moved slowly over the finely tailored black coat he'd only glimpsed in the bar, the long folds of the cape, the black silk tie knotted at the throat, and the gleam of the white collar that was as white as a vampire's flesh. He stared at the vampire's full black hair, the waves that were combed back over the tips of the ears, the curls that barely touched the edge of the white collar. "'Now, do you still want the interview?' the vampire asked. The boy's mouth was open before the sound came out. He was nodding, and then he said, "'Yes!' The vampire sat down slowly opposite him, and leaning forward, said gently, confidentially, "Don't be afraid. just start the tape." And then he reached out over the legs of the table. The boy recoiled, sweat running down the sides of his face. The vampire clamped a hand on the boy's shoulder and said, "Believe me, I won't hurt you. I want this opportunity. It's more important to me than you can realize now. I want you to begin." And he withdrew his hand and sat collected, waiting. It took a moment for the boy to wipe his forehead and his lips with the handkerchief, to stammer that the microphone was in the machine, to press the button to say that the machine was on. You weren't always a vampire, were you? He began. No, answered the vampire. I was a 25-year-old man when I became a vampire, and the year was 1791. The boy was startled by the preciseness of the date, and he repeated it before he asked, How did it come about? There's a simple answer to that. I don't believe I want to give simple answers, said the vampire. I think I want to tell the real story. Yes, the boy said quickly. He was folding his handkerchief over and over and wiping his lips now with it again. There was a tragedy, the vampire started. It was my younger brother. He died. And then he stopped so that the boy cleared his throat and wiped at his face again before stepping handkerchief almost impatiently into his pocket. It's not painful, is it? he asked timidly. Does it seem so? asked the vampire. No. He shook his head. It's simply that I've only told this story to one other person, and that was so long ago. No, it's not painful. We were living in Louisiana then. We'd received a land grant and settled two indigo plantations on the Mississippi, very near New Orleans. Ah, that's the accent, the boy said softly. For a moment, the vampire stared blankly. I have an accent? (laughs) He began to laugh. And the boy, flustered, answered quickly. I noticed it in the bar when I asked you what you did for a living. It's just a slight sharpness to the consonants, that's all. I never guessed it was French. That's all right, the vampire assured him. I'm not as shocked as I pretend to be. It's only that I forget it from time to time, from time to time. But let me go on. Please, said the boy. I was talking about the plantations. They had a great deal to do with it, really, my becoming a vampire, but I'll come to that. Our life there was both luxurious and primitive, and we ourselves found it extremely attractive. You see, we lived far better than we could have ever lived in France. Perhaps the sheer wilderness of Louisiana only made it seem so. But seeming so, it was. I remember the important important furniture that cluttered the house. The vampire smiled. And the harpsichord. That was lovely. My sister used to play it. On summer evenings, she would sit at the keys with her back to the open French windows. And I can still remember that thin, rapid music and the vision of the swamp rising beyond her. The moss hung cypresses floating against the sky. And there were the sounds of the swamp, a chorus of creatures, the cry of the birds. I think we loved it. It made the rosewood furniture all the more precious, the music more delicate and desirable. Even when the wisteria tore the shutters off the attic windows and worked its tendrils right into the whitewashed brick in less than a year. Yes, they loved it, all except my brother. I don't think I ever heard him complain of anything, but I knew how he felt. My father was dead then, and I was head of the family, and I had to defend him constantly from my mother and sister. They wanted to take him visiting and to New Orleans for parties, but he hated these things. I think he stopped going altogether before he was twelve. I don't know if that mattered to him. Mm-hmm. There and his leather brand was the same. Finally, I built him an oratory removed from the house, and he began to spend most of every day there, and often the early evening. It was ironic, really. He was so different from us, so different from everyone, and I was so regular. There was nothing extraordinary about me whatsoever. The vampire smiled. Sometimes in the evening, I would go out to him and find him in the garden near the oratory, sitting absolutely composed in a stone bench there, and I'd tell him my troubles, the difficulties I had with the slaves, how I distressed the overseer, or the weather, or my brokers, all the problems that made up the length and breadth of my existence. And he would listen, making only a few comments, always sympathetic, so that when I left him, I had the distinct impression he had solved everything for me. I didn't think I could deny him anything, and I vowed that no matter how it would break my heart to lose him, he could enter the priesthood when the time came. Of course, I was wrong. The vampire stopped. For a moment, the boy only gazed at him, and then he started, as if awakened from deep thought, and he floundered, as if he could not find the right words. Ah, he didn't want to be a priest, the boy asked. The vampire studied him as if trying to discern the meaning of his expressions. Then he said, I mean that I was wrong about myself, about my not denying him anything. His eyes moved over the far wall and fixed on the panes of the window. He began to see visions. Real visions, the boy asked, but again, there was hesitation, as if he were thinking of something else. I didn't think so, the vampire answered, It happened when he was 15. He was very handsome then. He had the smoothest skin and the largest blue eyes. He was robust, not thin as I am now, and was thin by his eyes. It was as if when I looked into his eyes, I was standing alone on the edge of the world, on a windswept ocean beach. There was a soft roar of the waves. Well, he said, his eyes still fixed on the window panes. He began to see visions. He only hinted at this at first, and he stopped taking his meals altogether. He lived in the oratory. At any hour of day or night, I could find him on the bare flagstones kneeling before the altar. And the oratory itself was neglected. He stopped tending the candles or changing the altar cloths or even sleeping out the leaves. One night, I became really alarmed when I stood in the rose arbor watching him for one solid hour during which he never moved from his knees and never once lowered his arms, which he held outstretched in the form of a cross. The slaves all thought he was mad. The vampire raised his eyebrows in wonder. I was convinced that he was only overzealous, that in his love for God, he had perhaps gone too far. When he told me about the visions, little Saint Dominique and the Blessed Virgin Mary had come to visit him. In the oratory, they told him he was to sell all, all our property in Louisiana, everything we owned, and use the money to do God's work in France. My brother was to be a great religious leader, to return the country to its former fervor, to turn the tide against atheism and the revolution. Of course, he had no money of his own. I was to sell the plantations in our townhouses in New Orleans and give the money to him. Again, the vampire stopped. And the boy sat motionless regarding him, astonished. Uh, excuse me, he whispered. What did you say? Did you sell the plantations? No, said the vampire, his face calm as it had been from the start. I laughed at him, and he, he became incensed. He insisted his command came from the Virgin herself. Who was I to disregard it? Who indeed? He asked softly, as if he were thinking of this again. Who? Indeed. And the more he tried to convince me, the more I laughed. It was nonsense, I told him, the product of an immature and even morbid mind. The oratory was a mistake, I said to him. I would have it torn down at once. He would go to school in New Orleans and get such innate notions out of his head. I don't remember all that I said, but I remember the feeling. Behind all this contemptuous dismissal on my part was a smoldering anger and a disappointment. I was bitterly disappointed i didn't believe him at all but that's understandable said the boy quickly when the vampire paused his expression of astonishment softening i mean would anyone have believed him is it so understandable the vampire looked at the boy i think perhaps it was vicious egotism let me explain i loved my brother as i told you and at times i believed him to be a living saint I encouraged him in his prayer and meditations, as I said, and I was willing to give him up to the priesthood. And if someone had told me of a saint in Arles or Lourdes who, who saw visions, I would have believed it. I was a Catholic. I believed in saints. I lit tapers before their marble statues and churches. I knew their pictures, their symbols, their names. But I didn't, couldn't believe my brother. Not only did I not believe he saw visions, I couldn't entertain the notion for a moment. Now, why? Because he was my brother. Holy, he might be peculiar, most definitely. But Francis said, "I see. See, no, not my brother. No brother of mine could be such. That is egotism. Do you see?" The boy thought about it before he answered, and then he nodded and said, so, have the vision," said the vampire. "Then you, you don't claim to know now whether he did not not no, but I do know that he never wavered in his conviction for a second. That I know now and knew then. The night he left my room, crazed and grieved, he never wavered for an instant, and within minutes he was dead. How, the boy asked. He simply walked out of the French doors onto the gallery and stood for a moment at the head of the brick stairs. And then he fell. He was dead when I reached the bottom, his neck broken. The vampire shook his head in consternation, but his face was still serene. Did you see him fall? asked the boy. Did he lose his footing? No. But two of the servants saw it happen. Happened. They said that he looked up as if he had seen something in the air. The entire body moved forward as if being swept by a wind. One of them said he was about to say something when he fell. I thought that he was about to say something too. But it was at that moment I turned away from the window. My back was turned when I heard the noise. He glanced at the tape recorder. "'I could not forgive myself. "'I felt responsible for his death,' he said, "'and everyone else seemed to think I was responsible also. "'But how could they? "'You said they saw him fall. "'It wasn't a direct accusation. "'I simply knew that something had passed between us "'that was unpleasant, "'though we had argued minutes before the fall. "'The servants had heard us. "'My mother had heard us. "'My mother would not stop asking me what had happened and why. "'My brother, who was so quiet, had been shouting.' But my sister joined in, and of course, I refused to say, I was so bitterly shocked and miserable that I had no patience with anyone, only the vague determination that they would not know about his visions. They would not know that he had become finally not a saint, but only a fanatic. My sister went to bed rather than face the funeral, and my mother told everyone in the parish that something horrible had happened in my room, which I would not reveal. And even the police questioned me on the word of my own mother. Finally, the priest came to see me and demanded to know what had gone on. I told no one. It was only a discussion, I said. I was not on the gallery when he fell. I protested, and they all stared at me as if I'd killed him, and I felt that I'd killed him. I sat in the parlor beside his coffin for two days, thinking, I have killed him. I stared at his face until spots appeared before my eyes, and I nearly fainted. The back of his skull had been shattered on the pavement, and his head had the wrong shape on the pillow. I forced myself to stare at it, to study it simply, because I could hardly endure the pain and the smell of decay. And I was tempted over and over to try to open his eyes. All these were mad thoughts, mad impulses. The main thought was this. I had laughed at him. I had not believed him. I had not been kind to him. He had fallen because of me. The end of the excerpt of Interview with a Vampire, written by Anne Rice. Read aloud by yours truly, Sandra London of WhipandGrind.com
2: My hair's all caught in your strings.
5: That's good. That's how you make real music. <laughs> One,
2: two, three I found myself dreaming In silver and gold Like a thing from a movie That every broken heart And you disappeared And then I was all alone I woke up in tears With you by my side A breath of relief And I realized oh. When I promise tomorrow
6: I am sure, wanting more out of life than the venom that they recite If you present it, then they will bite, I've been trying to reach the light Got two of they told me sight, give me more power to write If you're feeling it's what you like, then everybody, everybody, put the hand. Hand. everybody put your eyes on the air Everybody put your eyes on the air Everybody put your eyes in the air Everybody put your hands in the hand. everybody put your Now stomping your feet, now dead cannot sleep, now running and jumping streets, now flooded with people. One love you, what speaking? Bob Marley, one teaching me? Once it touched me, hearts and mothers, they tell me I'm dumb and I'm loving it, I'm asking one question: Why can't I make this music? Me give? it has got me feeling motivated, so you can call me anything but stupid. Me God, me God, me go with hard, me Lord, me guard. Later, my too much on my shoulders, on my shoulders, on my shoulders, on my shoulders. There's nothing I would rather do than sittin' right you. If you're feeling this, what you? If you're feeling this, Then Everybody, put your hands in the 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 Everybody that you
4: hands in the Everybody put your hands in the, air. Everybody put
2: your hands in the air.
7: I play it. I to
3: For, comfort, coraje, courage, coronel, colonel, emphasis, emphasis, espionaje, espionage, etc., etc., et Feminino feminine, jirafa, giraffe, giraffe, Glacier, gobernar, gobierno, governor, government. Gravidad, gravity. Huracan, hurricane. Iraq, Iraq. Hamon, ham. Heroglyphico, hieroglyphics. Honoron, honoron, ham home run lenguaje language mensaje message millón million siniestro sinister tamal tamale vasco Basque. vainilla vanilla Xenophobia. Xenophobia, Shilla, Guatemala.
4: Will you whisper something happy in my ear? Just upset it to make me disappear. So it's
0: Mas você tava em casa esperando o que me diz Você sabia da chuva Então guarda, por favor, um pedacinho que eu não quero mais Ver que discutir sobre o que faltou e o que sobrou pra mim
5: Niggas tried try to fight the vicious violence bitter. Your eyes couldn't spy the killer, blind the vigor. Your rhymes are a pile of litter. Kyle delivers, <sighs> but I ain't talking about the genre though. Got the treasure map as an app on the portable. Your tour is of horrible. Morals to the porthole, Black flags casted. Ragtag bastards. Living. Searching for the prizes in it, Mob the it bombed the village, mobbed the top cocktail, you're about to witness. What it feels like to be caught with a shot of grimace. It is built into the plot. we some rotten killers. filling pilgrims into rivers, time my heart in quivers. Burning trees and bridging with the shiver hot me tillers. What a sea we painted, hey, ain't niggas dial fillers. on fire, if balls of what you got Pirate nigga, punch your neighbor in the face No time to waste, make sure his bones break Pirate nigga, grab the rump of a witch Whole head full of ass, fuck a little pinch All my pirates come home with a stash. Lick on the breath in the bag To be got with a shot of crimson, it is built into the plot of rock and killers, filling pilgrims into rivers. Time my hearts and quivers, burning trees and frigid with the shiver hot me timbers, What a sea we painted, ain't hey, nigga die of
7: That us. lose my.
2: Quisiera conocer
7: tu beso, acariciar tu pelo si me dejarán yeah. Me vuelves loco más Y dice, y dice, eh, si se supiera lo que voy diciendo Mi amor por dentro te prometo más No te arrepentirás, no, no, no te Y cuando sale el sol Yo me despezo pensando en ti Cuando sale la luna, yo me acuerdo pensando en ti En mis sueños te tengo a final, te lo quiero confesar Te lo quiero confesar Yo no comprendo más, porque me siento así Más de hablar de caminar, me vuelve crazy Cuando te miro tú me miras En tu energía pero mis fans Dicen que yo no estoy en tu liga Pero te juro que te voy a llevar Conmigo hasta la nube Tú tienes algo en muy amor fe Porque antes de conocerte, yo soñaba en tenerte. Y ahora que tú estás aquí, mi anhelo es quererte. Y cuando sale el sol, yo me despierto pensando en ti. Tu sonrisa me lleva a pensar como te si quisiera amar Te ah, ah, lo quiero contestar Te lo quiero contestar Hoy te despides y razonas no, no te vayas por favor <tose> Decí que solo era yo El sueño de tu corazón oh. Tu beso, tu pelo, si me dejará, si me dejará, si me dejará, si me dejará si más, si y dice, hey, si supieras lo que voy diciendo, mi amor por dentro te prometo más te prometo más, te prometo más, te prometo más, te, te prometo. Y cuando sale, el sol, yo me despierto pensando en ti, tus sonrisas me
3: Yes, sir, or madam, my apologies in advance, but I, I need some, like, urgent assistance. Yes, yes, Any any emergency operator will do. No, I do not have a preference. That's not what I meant, I'm sorry. Honestly, please, someone... Anyone just Yes okay, I'll hold but please please help me this uh I believe it is an owl keeps slapping me in my gardener repeatedly.
2: <laughs> sure. Hmm? gonna
3: go. Ow No no, I was saying owl, but there's also indeed an owl. Ow! No, 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 I am not under the influence of any illicit substance or knowing consumption of any, to my best knowledge of this statement. Ow! My eyes! Why? Why? Ow! No, that was me, speaking American English. Onomatopoeia, okay, yeah, no. That was in English, originally, anyways. Greek, maybe? A description? Uh, one of my eyes is now swollen shut, but he, I think, yes, he appears to be a he, and is cloaked, uh, masked, um, colored? No, I'm not making a prank call. No, I'm not a member of a racist organization. What the? I'm doing the best I can. No, he did not make any audibly threatening statements.
2: Uh-huh.
3: His gestures just landed on my face without warning. I no,
2: uh-huh.
3: I don't know if he's prone to Tourette's or whether he has epilepsy.
2: Uh-huh.
3: No, I did not see a driver's license or a proof of identity. Uh-huh. Yes, I apologize for making this assumption. Yes, I understand your admonition. Can you just li- listen or get someone over here... Please, please, pretty, please. <laughs>
2: well, uh,
3: it is possible <laughs> the subject's name is... Black!
2: <laughs> I'm no,
3: no, I am not making racist statements. Wait, are you serious? No, I am not making racist statements. Wait, are you serious? Oh, no, the subject is... Hugged me with their wings? Uh-huh. No, I'm not a fundamentalist orthodox member of any sect or private club, I, I don't think. No, I'm not using slang. I'm describing uh-huh. I'm the best of my. No, I did not attempt to procure nor solicit sex from the subject. Uh-huh. I said sect. S E C OW! Uh-huh. No. The subject is not propositioning me on the street, as far as I know, anyways. Uh. I was on my way home from work at Uh a job Uh. that is indoors. Like, literally, literally. Ow! Uh, Really?
2: Uh
3: Okay. Yes, I'll hold, but but, please hurry. I think the subject understands the English language. Uh Why? Oh, wait. I'm, I'm not on hold. Well, because the the subject is now hugging me tighter ever since I said hold. Ow! Ah. I don't know. Ah. Uh, uh.
2: Now that's better, baby. Why don't we sing a song to help pass the time? Hmm? Row 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 your boat gently down the stream Merrily 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 down the stream Merrily 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 Life is but a dream Merrily Merrily
0: Merrily Merrily
2: is down the stream Merrily 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 Merrily
4: I go ahead. My-